when I'm reading something aloud about a ship's bow, um, I have to stop and think. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryant, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Well, hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. You know what I like about podcasting? Well, one thing I like about podcasting yeah. is occasionally we get some correspondence from people listening to the podcast. I had one recently from a non-native speaker who said, why don't you talk about pronunciation for us non-native speakers? Well, I don't know if we could talk about pronunciation for non-native speakers because there are so many varieties of non-native speakers. Right. There are different problems that um, Japanese speakers, for example, have with pronouncing English versus uh, Eastern European speakers or... Uh, you know, some of the best pronunciation of English comes from those countries where people learn English early and their ear gets uh, tuned in. There's a certain thing in pronunciation. If you've studied language acquisition a little bit, you come to know that after a certain age, if you are learning a different language, you will inevitably have difficulties with pronunciation that you would not have had had you started very early on. That's very sad news for those of us who are past the age of, oh, you know, 18 or so. I used to work with a linguist whose specialty was uh, eliminating foreign accents. Mm -hmm. And he said that although it's difficult, he could train people to lose their accent if they needed to for a job, for instance. And uh, had a colleague who had an accent. It was not at all difficult to understand. But I asked her if she was interested in getting this kind of training at all. And she said no, because her accent made her feel still connected to her speech origins. And she didn't want to be alienated from that. Yeah. And accents are interesting in their own right, uh, as long as you are able to communicate in another language with or without an accent, and your audience is interested in what you have to say, and they are comfortable with your accent, it's not really something that puts me off. No, and there's always you know charming accents and romantic accents. So. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. The ones that bug me the most are the artificial accents I get on tech support lines where clearly they're being answered somewhere. I always suspect India, but I don't get an Indian accent. I get this very strange artificial sounding voice. I have no idea what <laughs> what it goes into. It's not like any language I've ever heard, but it turns up frequently in tech support calls. Yes, well, I always appreciated when Monty Python would do an American character, the amount that they would overproduce the American accent, uh, very aware of what they were doing. But a trained and talented British actor will do a perfectly good American accent. Speaking of dealing with anonymous people on the phone, this doesn't have much to do with common errors in English usage, but... I'm finding that a lot of people are interested. We've been getting phone calls frequently um, from all kinds of places trying to sell us stuff. And um, one of them 
has this kind of pattern. The phone rings, you pick it up, hello, silence. And then a woman comes on laughing a little bit and saying, sorry, is having trouble with my headset. Oh. And then she says, we're calling because you stayed at one of our resorts recently. Mm. And I hang up usually at that point. But when I put this on Facebook and asked other people about it, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I get that all the time. And if you stay on the phone and try to talk to her, she just keeps talking and it's clearly a recording. Oh. So they've got some kind of system set up. Probably, I imagine somebody sitting in front of an array where a zillion phone calls have been made and a light comes on or something when somebody picks up the phone on the other end that it takes a few seconds for them to switch over and say, okay, this is a life one. Push the sales speech now. And because there's a little delay, they explain the delay in the recording by saying this friendly little, ooh, I'm having a little trouble with my headset. I know that that happens even with live communication, where you pick up the phone and it's obvious that there have been several calls placed at once and the person on the other end has to choose which one to answer because you'll get that long delay and then finally they'll get on the line. But this ratchets it up a level if it's pre-recorded and they have an excuse built into their pre-recorded message. I haven't actually encountered that one. A half dozen of my Facebook friends said they got the exact same thing. Yeah. And I got it twice in a row. That's why I figured out what was going on. It happened one week and then the next week, so wait a minute, she's still having trouble with her headset? <laughs> she's still laughing in exactly the same way? That doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, uh, we weren't here to talk about telemarketers. We wanted to talk about pronunciation. What about the word pronunciation? We could start right there. Yeah, the verb is to pronounce. The noun is pronunciation. And that throws people off. You see it both misspelled and hear it misspoken. And the tip off here is that if you see it in writing, pronounces with the O-U, P-R-O-N-O-U-N-C-E. And there's no O in the word pronunciation. So it, it neither appears nor is it pronounced. And that's one of those nice words in English where you can actually kind of sound it out, which isn't always the case. Uh, and that leads to a lot of native speakers to make a lot of pronunciation errors. Right. So let's talk about some of those that show up in the Common Errors in English Usage book. The first one that I have sitting here in front of me, this is not alphabetical or any kind of order, but I just have the word fiscal versus physical, uh, two entirely different words, but you'll hear the word fiscal mispronounced. Actually, it's more often the word physical that gets mispronounced, I think. You think so? Okay, yeah. Yeah, fiscal. Yeah, and rather than physical responsibility here, I'm going to get my fiscal or <laughs> something like that. Yeah, exactly. And that can lead people to use the wrong word in writing. Mm -hmm. um, not many people except those in bookkeeping and finance generally have the, uh, or journalists, I guess, use fiscal very much. So you don't have a lot of opportunity to say it. Um, but it is true that often people just say, I got my fiscal and so it could come out wrong. And of course, a lot of people these days are using their cell phones to write text messages and even emails by talking to it. And uh, you can get all kinds of swaps like this 
if your pronunciation is a little sloppy or if the software is just not as good as it should be. Yeah. So fiscal, as in budget matters, is with the F, F-I-S-C-A-L, and physical with the three syllables is as in when you go to the doctor and you get a physical examination. All right. Well, another kind of error that native speakers are prone to is reading a word and mispronouncing it where the word could be pronounced in different ways. And one of those is the word bow versus the word bow. Yeah. A violin bow is B-O-W, and to take a bow is also B-O-W. But when you're reading it, you can make a slip. You know, I don't think I ever make this mistake when I'm just speaking off the cuff. But when I'm reading something aloud about a ship's bow, um, I have to stop and think. You know, there's a little glitch in my brain. It says, wait a minute. Okay, this is bow, not bow. No, it's bow, not bow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you are reading something aloud, you have to stop and calibrate yourself and get it figured out. So what I said in the book is if it shoots arrows, plays your violin, or secures your shoelaces, bow rhymes with go. Tie a bow in your shoes, play the violin with a bow, pull back the bowstring to shoot the arrow. But if it's a respectful bending of the body, a bow, or the front end of a ship, it rhymes with cow. And it sounds just like the bow on a tree. Which is not spelled B-O-W. <laughs> no. For a tree. The bow on the tree is B-O-U-G-H. And while we're at it, it'll be interesting to see what Trump does when he meets his first Japanese ambassador. Because every time there is an encounter between a new president and stuff, the proper thing is to return the respectful bow. And Americans have this notion that to bow is like bowing to a king or a queen, and therefore you're saying you're subservient. And Obama certainly got attacked for a very slight bow that he gave in a visit to Japan. But George Bush had done exactly the same thing. Um, the bow in Japan means something entirely different from, say, the British bow. Well, the presidential cultural handlers, I'm sure, train presidents to do a bow of some description, regardless of what media commentators are going to say about it back here in the U.S. It would be an extreme faux pas to not do some kind of a bow when you meet the head of state in Japan. Yeah, these could be touchy matters. When I was in India, um, I was ready to uh, place my palms and my hands together and give the namaste to greet another person, just as that person was sticking out their hand to shake it with me because they were prepared to adapt to my pattern. <laughs> right. That whole thing of um, greeting with a bow or whatever you do to greet, it's always good to look up and read up a little bit on that before you visit another place to see what is done upon greeting, because it can be very tricky. The next one I have is integral. Uh, if something is integral to the project, it's a critical element of it. Or integral, is the way I say it. Or integral. Yes, that's right. That's the other pronunciation. So we have two of them, but it doesn't always get pronounced integral or integral. Now, the R gets pushed back into the previous syllable, so it comes out as integral. And that is so common that it's one of those things where those of us who are fussy may be in the minority. 
And I certainly see it misspelled, too, with the R going in the second syllable instead of the third. Mm-hmm. Yeah, integral is a common one. And also just integral. Yeah, you know, that's just sort of sloppy speech integral. But I don't think that bothers anybody except that you're not being very distinct. Yes, right. Um, now, here's one next month we'll have to deal with, and you'll probably see it somehow, somewhere, where people are going to spell out the word February without the first R that shows up in it, and they're going to pronounce it as if that R weren't there also. Yeah, in fact, I would say the dominant pronunciation is February without the first R. Yeah. That's actually, frankly, the way I say it, too. February is the shortest month of the year. I think that's pretty standard. The problem is that if you're spelling it, you can leave the R out because you're not used to pronouncing it. Mm -hmm. So if you're being self-conscious about it, you can say February. (laughs) Yeah. It's just a little, it's almost cumbersome to say. I don't know of any other words off the top of my head in English where you have the B and R together and they are actually in separate syllables. To actually break it February is really cumbersome. So that's why it gets dropped in speech. I tend to somehow slip a little thought of an R in there myself. Maybe just so I won't forget to do it when I'm spelling it out. February. Maybe. If you drink too much homebrew, you might come up with a mispronunciation. Yeah, that's a wicked brew. Okay. Now, here's one where you have a word that means different things depending on which syllable you put the emphasis on. Right. So when you send out an invitation, that is an invite. But the act of sending out an invitation is to invite, and that's the accent on the second syllable. Right. And you have an entry on that. Yeah, and I used a reference to a very old cartoon joke. Invite me to the birthday party and I'll jump out of the cake. (laughs) (laughs) As opposed to, I got an invite to my ex-wife's wedding. Yeah. Now, in case people know that there are cartoons in the book, we did not illustrate invite me to the birthday party and I'll jump out of the cake. So not to worry, you're not going to find that one in there. Uh, how about this next one I have up is uh, pundit. Now, people do mispronounce pundit. How does that go? Uh, well, often they put an extra N in, so it comes out as pundint. Yeah. Or pundant, like fondant or something. It's a Hindu word originally, and a pundit means scholar or learned person. It's often sort of an honorary title that's given to somebody who you respect because of their learning. And... Uh, Nehru, the first premier of India, whose first name was Jawaharlal, very difficult to wrap an American tongue around, was often referred to respectfully as Pandit Nehru, which was a lot easier to say and much shorter to write in a newspaper article. Yeah. I don't know how that ends up getting slipped in there, but it's pundit, not pundit. Yeah. That brings to mind another common one. It's I don't have it on my list here, but uh, titillating and tintillating. I think people want to titter when they hear the word titillate. (laughs) Yeah, that tit makes them a little nervous, I think. Right. And so they want to slip in the extra N, titillate. It's titillating. Yeah. Well, there's tingling and tintintabulation. Yeah. (laughs) And tint, of course. There's a lot of other words that have that combination that might lead you in that direction. Yeah. Uh, Here's another one that's 
prone to some sloppy and sometimes the sloppiness i think is thrown in there to kind of appear folksy on the word interesting yes this is something that people very much differ on individually I used to think that somebody that said interesting was definitely non-standard, and I say that in the book. Um, but I'm beginning to think that it's just one of those little currents that runs through the population. And uh, some people who are very well-spoken go ahead and pronounce that T, interesting. Um, it sounds like an overcorrection to me, but it's obviously very natural for a lot of people. So I'm trying not to let it bother me. Um, but if you say interesting, you skip the T altogether, that sounds kind of lazy and sloppy. Mm -hmm. So common pronunciation, interesting, mm -hmm. a little less, maybe hypercorrected sounding or like you're trying to over-enunciate is interesting. Except if you said it really slowly, like interesting, aha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that has a different meaning. That means uh, I suspect something is going on here. Yeah. But uh, if you're just in normal speech using the word interesting, it's not even hard to say it with the extra syllable there uh, in a natural way, but it's not wrong per se, but the most common pronunciation is interesting. Right. Yeah. But dropping that T altogether, that would be um, putting on a folksy kind of air. Yeah. Yeah, I find it very interesting. Okay. Um. Well, the next one I have on the list, the word realtor is spelled R-E-A-L-T-O-R -E with no extra A between the L and the T there. Mm -hmm. But uh, for some reason in speech, people often put in an extra A, an extra syllable here. So they call it a realtor. I'm not sure where that comes from, but the word is realtor. Yeah, this is one of those kinds of cases where it really upsets the people who are the thing you're talking about. <laughs> uh, professionals really hate it when people mispronounce or misuse in some way, mangle the name of their job. And realtor is a hot one. You know, I haven't talked to that many people about real estate, but when I talk to people about their experiences buying houses, almost uniformly, they say realtor. We had a really good realtor, and the realtor told us that we could get a better deal next door, and on and on. And I just have to bite my tongue. Mm -hmm. If I have occasion to say it, I say realtor. But I know that it really bothers realtors. They're pretty fussy about that word anyway. The National Association of Real Estate Boards was renamed the National Association of Realtors. And, of course, they not only dislike hearing themselves referred to as realtors, but they also say that if you're not a member of that association, then you're not a realtor and you should just be called a real estate agent or a real estate associate. Hmm. I don't think they're getting anywhere with that. There's sometimes professions try to steer language in a way that they prefer and it, it just doesn't have much impact on the public at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in general usage, if you call your realtor a real estate agent and they are, in fact, a proper realtor, a member of that organization, who thinks about that? Realtors. <laughs> realtors. That's about it. And there it ends. And, you know, that's something I learned from you from reading your book was this whole dispute over uh, what's a proper realtor and what isn't. So I have tried in the meantime. Now, um, 
when did we start working together on the book? It was 2002 or something like that, right? Or 2001. <laughs> it's a long time ago. Yeah, long time ago. Now, in all of those intervening years, I have tried to pick up somehow in general usage this uh, distinction between realtor and real estate agent, and I just don't see it at all. No. So I'm sure that's isolated to the industry itself. That's also like doctor and say something like a physician's assistant or something. People are likely to say they've got a doctor's appointment, even if they've got somebody who doesn't have the formal title of doctor. Mm -hmm. And that bothers the people at the office. One other odd thing about doctor, by the way, is there's a habit that um, receptionists and nurses have of referring to the doctor without the in front of it. So I'll talk to doctor about this, but doctor will be in soon. Yeah. And that seems to be sort of standard in medical practice. And I don't know how it started. Seems kind of odd to me. Nobody outside of the office does that. Yeah. Well, you go to see the doctor. It's just very unnatural to say, I'm going to see doctor, unless you've got the doctor's name following it, of course. And that's a specific doctor. Yeah. It just doesn't come off naturally to drop the article from in front of doctor. Well, the next one is not a pronunciation error because it's so widespread. You sound odd doing the so-called correct pronunciation. That's gonna versus going to. So I'm going to head off to the store. Wow. If you stopped and sounded that out every time, I'm going to go out to the store. You would sound a little odd. But when you're writing it, you can't really represent it that way in most contexts. Unless you're trying to render a dialect in a fictional setting or something. Um, you wouldn't do G-O-N-N-A. It's interesting, though, if you say that you're going to school, you're more likely to pronounce it correctly. I'm going to the opera. Yes. But I'm going to enjoy myself when I get there. So there are two different meanings of going to. In this case, one is the direction and the other is a statement of future event happening. Yeah, well, that's interesting. That's true. Um, the other one that you list in your entry on going to is wanna or want to follows the same pattern right it's not really a pronunciation error but it's just something to be aware of in writing that um you still need to separate those two words out going to uh even though people reading your email are are going to read it <laughs> not as going to uh now how about another one of those words where the and in the middle of the word in this case it gets dropped it doesn't get added so we talked about pundit but in this word, environment, uh, the N tends to get dropped in pronunciation. Right. And I think it's because an N and an M right next to each other are kind of awkward. So people say environment, but they also spell it that way very frequently. Now, I should say in pronunciation to overdo it, environment would sound extremely odd also. Yeah. Environment. We're talking about saving the environment. <laughs> And the office is environment instead of run. It's a word that lends itself to a lot of loose. Yeah, but if you drop the N entirely out of there, environment, it does sound a little sloppy. So somehow that N gets slipped in there in some way, environment. And it's really subtle, but it is there. And you actually can hear it when it is dropped. I think it's a problem mainly in spelling. And... Um, I think there are a lot of people that are just darned aware that that first N is there in environment. Um, 
I put in a reminder, if you know the related word environs, it may help remind you, but I'm afraid that the people who misspell it probably don't know the word environs either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you drop the N entirely, it's not necessarily going to set many people's teeth on edge, I wouldn't think. Um, but yeah, in spelling, you have to be careful about that. It is actually there. Um, now, this next one is uh, part of a group of words where you have a noun and a verb, and you've got an E on the end. It's breath and breathe. So the word breath is the noun, and you add the E on the end. It's breathe, and you've got to make sure you're getting that pronunciation, and once again, that spelling correct also. Yeah, I think this one's mainly a spelling error, that uh, people will use it without the E when they should have the E on it, especially. Mm-hmm. Actually, breath and breathe, the vowel sound is different, but it could be related to the word wreath and wreathe. Yes. Where the TH sound changes. To put a wreath on something is to wreathe it. Is that right? Yeah, and if you have a baby, you might have teeth and teeth. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So these ones where you're adding the E on to change the noun to a verb, that TH sound changes from that th to the th. Uh, let's do a couple more here. Let's do one more here. And I want to talk more about more of the pronunciation entries because they lead to so many interesting tangential conversations. Uh, and this is going to be one of them for sure. Uh, artisanal. Am I even saying that right? <laughs> artisanal. Well, when I look it up in a dictionary, it tells me it should be artisanal. Now that is very weird. <laughs> We just don't do that with four-syllable words in English where the first, you know, this little prefix is accented. But the dictionaries I've looked at, I'll say that. That's certainly, I want to say, artisanal. Mm-hmm. But I can't find any uh, written support for that. I think that's what a lot of people say, though. Yeah, this is such an important word for the times. I mean, you know, we need to get this straight. I think part of the reason why the dictionary is lagging here is that um, they're going off of some historic idea that this is some arcane and not generally used term and uh it comes up so much in um you know if you read restaurant guides or anything like that you're going to be seeing this word all the time especially related to food i'm wondering if people who added dictionaries don't make enough money to eat out in fancy restaurants very often (laughs) right are they near the waiter saying it so what do you say is your preferred pronunciation again Well, I say artisanal, but the one that you don't want, and which I do hear waiters saying, is artisanal. Yeah, which is a different thing. Yeah, artesian is uh, an adjective that describes a flow of water that comes up spontaneously from the ground. It doesn't have to be pumped up. So an artesian well is one that just flows without necessity of a pump. And an awful lot of people use artesian when they mean artisan. Mm -hmm. Right. And artisanal comes from artisan. Just think of an artisan rather than artesian, and you won't confuse those two things. But then again, when you wrap around to the word artisanal and preferred pronunciations, you'll see a few different things going on. I think this is one that's just up in the air right now. Yeah. I think the logic was that the word artisan does have the first syllable accent, uh-huh. and uh, you say add the o, and then you got the word, so... Artisanal. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it flows easily on the tongue of other people. I don't know that I've ever heard that pronunciation. (laughs) Yeah. 
people should know by now that the way dictionaries are constructed is to go out and try to represent the way the language is being used. Um, not the other way around, like people might think, where, oh, we're going to write a dictionary and that will dictate how the language gets used. They try to figure out how the language is getting used and then put it in there. But this is one where the dictionaries, I think, are just lagging or they're behind. going to catch up with the time somewhere. Well, I said I was going to do one more, but let's just squeeze in one more. Uh, we've got offense and offense. Now, this is really interesting where it depends on the context. In sports, you play offense or defense, right? But if you commit an offense, it's the second syllable. It's, you don't say uh, that he was um, given a ticket and that was his third offense. You say third offense. And... Um, it's not the defense department, it's the Department of Defense. I think the reason that in sports talk it got switched with the accent on the first syllable is that this is probably the only context in which the two words are being used frequently, and you want to emphasize the difference between them. Mm. So I think it probably arose from that. And when I say, okay, he's playing defense right now, but he used to play offense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that makes a kind of sense. As you know, I'm not a sports fan. <laughs> it sounds sort of uneducated to me, but I can understand the rationale behind it. The thing is, if you're really, really used to the sports talk, you got to be careful to switch when you're going into talking about politics or law or um, manners or something else where you might have use for not wanting to give offense. That's something to keep in mind. And you also point out that this is one of those American English versus UK English or international world English, right? Spelling difference. Yeah. Where in the US we spell it O-F-F-E-N-S-E and most of the rest of the world is going to spell it O-F-F-E-N-C-E. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be, I'm not so sure that that's true anymore. It used to be that most of the world followed British spelling, but newer countries in the Middle East and Asia, uh, not including India, often follow American patterns in spelling. Because I got into a real wrangle with some Brit speakers when I wrote about this first on my website. And they would say, well, the British is the correct spelling. It's only Americans who get it wrong. And besides the Australians and Canadians who split the difference and often go one way or the other, um, if you're from a country in Africa that didn't have English as its colonial language or some other part of the world, you may well use American spelling. A lot of the times, the intelligentsia of these countries go to America, to American schools, and learn American English. That's how it's taught. So the world is pretty divided on that. Right. Speaking of um, international English, let's keep on the international theme next time, because I want to talk about words that uh, have been adopted into English from French. And that creates a whole set of words that are commonly mispronounced in English, they've been anglicized, some of them, and some of them have retained more of their French pronunciation. Um, let's go down a list of some of those next time. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Paul. Au revoir.